We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Let's do a little stock talk. Let's talk about the market. Let's talk about sectors. Let's talk about investing. Obviously, you probably know, if you've been paying attention to the stock market in the last 10 years, is that dividend stocks have done very, very well. There's a lot of things you probably know. Um, you, Some of them you hold very closely to yourself that may be incorrect. Some of them you hold very closely to yourself that may be correct. But things along the lines of, like, um, are Republicans good, are Republicans bad, are Democrats good, are Democrats bad? Is a Republican Congress better than a Democrat Congress? We could talk about anything along those lines that's tied towards investing. We're not necessarily talking about things that are tied towards, um, when we talk politics, we're not talking about what your personal opinion is. We're talking about how it plays out with investing. So far, you get a lot of gridlock in the last, I'm going to almost say 25, 30 years, right? You go back to uh, uh, President Clinton. He came in with, remember the, well, he came in with the Democrat Congress, but the Republicans kind of swept Congress. And uh, they had that first 100 days and kind of all was well on Wall Street because there was that conflict. There was that, let's not get the Republican agenda done, let's not get the Democrat agenda done, let's get something that's a little bit more moderate. So, keep that in mind. Sometimes it's the middle that ultimately wins. Four of this year's five best-performing ETFs, exchange-traded funds. Now, what's an exchange-traded fund? Exchange-traded fund is kind of a modern-day mutual fund. What's a mutual fund? A mutual fund is a collection of stocks. Let's say it's 20 stocks, and they, sometimes they could be very general. Uh, they could cover the whole market. Um, they could be growth stocks. They can be value stocks. They could be big companies. They could be small companies. They could be tech companies. They could be retail companies. They could be, let's say, a bullet shot into hardware of technology. They could be semiconductors. They can be software of technology. So there's so many different ways to play it. Um, but mutual funds had the problem of, when they originally came out, they were actively managed. So you had to pay someone like me. Uh, portfolio manager Rob Black. Um, I wanted my 1.8%. Of 
because I wasn't going to work for free. I was going to give my secrets for free. And then competition came in, and it came down to like 1.7% per year, 1.6% a year. And then, you know, someone got the bright idea of like, hey, we don't need him. We could figure out what the top 20 semiconductor stocks are, and we'll just put it in an index. And suddenly those fees were cut in half. So that's where index funds kind of are passive. Actively management funds are, 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 are aggressive, dynamic. Um, so you pay for that dynam- dynamite. I, I don't own any dynamic funds at this point in time. I don't own any actively managed mutual funds. Um, I own index funds. I own some ETFs. Um, you know, maybe in my 401k there might be one or two actively managed, but I don't think so. So amongst the U.S. listed exchange traded funds this year, now exchange traded funds a lot like a mutual fund, but slightly different. And when I say by slightly different, what I mean is that it's, uh, well, it's slightly different. Um, instead of buying and selling stocks throughout the day, where you have to wait till the end of the day to see what everything settles down at. They're very passive. Um, they're just, you know, um, you kind of get what you get there. So the top U.S. listed exchange traded funds this year, and there's not as much tax liability with an exchange traded fund. Well, there's no tax. Well, you're not inheriting. If a mutual fund has 10 great years of up, you're inheriting capital gains taxes of someone else's gains. Um, so ETFs don't have that. It's the, that's probably their biggest advantage, and also they're super low cost. And they've kind of taken over the markets in the last 15 years. So amongst the top U.S.-listed exchange-traded funds with more than $2 billion in market cap, the iShares Morgan Stanley Country Index China ETF is up 34% through Friday. Now, all I'm going to throw out there is, and again, this show could be replayed again and again and again, is why do you think China's up, and why do you think 34%? That's a really good question. If you look at the calendar, you're like, whoa, that's an outsized return. I'll take that. My house isn't up 34%. My salary isn't up 34%. Um, blood pressure might be, but nothing else, right? Um, China's considered a grower. So that's worthy of note, right? Um, they're considered a growth economy, and they, they're growing faster than the U.S. Now, a lot of people go, well, that's not fair, because their politicians like print money. Well, ours do, too. And the people are like, that's not fair, because they've got initiatives of, like, everyone must buy a house. Well, we do, too, at times in the United States. Uh, so other big ETFs that are doing well is the Morgan Stanley Country Index, all country Asia, excluding Japan, up 26%. Oh, by the way, the China um, uh, ticker symbol is MCHI, and the all-country Asia X Japan is AAXJ. Uh, the third best performer is the um, S&P Biotech ETF, XBI. And the top five finish off with the iShares South Korea, ticker symbol EWI, and the iShares India, ticker symbol INDA. Now, like South Korea, you'd go... Don't they have issues tied towards North Korea and bombs and dictators? Um, we, uh, I'll throw out that joke later. What do you call, oh, what do you call a potato tied towards a man's private areas? A dictator. I'll be here all day. Some strategists ultimately think, you know, why are there four out of five top ETFs 
tied towards countries. Well, Asia's fast-growing. It's always been considered fast-growing for the last 40 years um, compared to the United States, a developed market. So um, if you've ever been to Asia, and this is not a knock on all of Asia, but many parts of Asia are really, really, really undeveloped. Dirt roads, um, one-lane highways, highways kind of thing, right? Um, so Asia markets have, have been a very exposed space. Now you have over $400 billion that have been on the sidelines waiting for money you know, opportunities, and that's one of the reasons you look at countries. Because, again, taking a look at a country, you could say something along the lines of, you know, let's take a look at their education system, let's take a look at their political system, let's take a look at their banking system. India is one of the best in the world. And I would say 10 years ago, I was uh, forced to make a choice, which would I rather invest in? And there's a mutual fund family here in the Bay Area called Matthews, and they do the Matthews China Fund, the Matthews Asia Fund, the Matthews India Fund. And I read all their research um, that I can get my hands on. And I like India It's a, compared to China. Now, again, this is a knock on China only a lot of times in the, in the PR world where you know they still have a strong form of communism that likes to play capitalism light. They like to open their trade to the world when it helps benefit them, as do all countries, right? Um, but it's still, at times, they still kind of lay down the law of, like, we're going to censor our people. We're going to monitor our people. Where India is a much more open country. Um, and, you know, India is not growing as fast as China, but India is a little more stable. So sometimes you go, which one do I want? Do I want the guy who can run pretty fast or the fastest one? The fastest one tends to have fits and bouts and, and uh, ups and starts and, and, and such. Whereas the more developed one, India, tends to be a little more consistent. So consider ETFs tied towards countries to give you a little extra diversity in your portfolio. Exchange-traded funds. Um, the one that I like, uh, MCI India ETF is ticker symbol INDA. We talked about biotech, XBI. We talked about South Korea, EWY. And we talked about Japan, AAXJ. No, all country Asia, excluding Japan. I'm Rob Black talking stock. Watch out. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Thanks for listening to the show. We're talking stocks. Talking stock talk. New show is Monday and Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. where I focus on stocks. And on Tuesday and Wednesday at 6 a.m., CFP Chad Burton focuses on creating wealth and managing wealth, focusing on it. Friday, we do a best of. It's from 6 to 7. Now, I do my show every day from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m., where I kind of combine you know, what I've done in the past, um, talking money, talking investing, talking the economy, and with a little bit of focus on stocks and, and the economy. So 
pass the word around there's some new shows out there. Now, when you typically think of dividend stocks, in history you thought of kind of stodgy stocks, stocks that have been around for a while. Historically now, many of us under the age of 50 don't have the history that our parents did with the stock market, where it was much, much more of a boring exercise. Um, but it, it's kind of changed, to be quite honest with you. It's it's kind of exciting, and day trading came in, and E-Trade came in, and like take the mon- monkey rocket to the moon. Um, everyone kind of got into it. But there was a day and age where, you know, buying a dividend stock was buying, you know, like a, a big food company or, a, you know, a big tobacco company. Companies that weren't going to grow their business. So you didn't think of them as tech stocks in any way, or shape or form. Uh, they just had a lot of cash and they gave it back to shareholders. Dividends are great because it's a way of, of getting paid every year if the stock market's up or down. Um, and it's tied towards the, some of the biggest gains of the S&P 500, not just the stock movement, but the dividends that you get along the way. Now, Apple is one of those big tech companies that has a dividend. You take a look at the stock performance, you're like, I'm pretty happy with that stock performance. But if you take a look at the dividend, you're like, it's gravy on top, so to speak. So Apple's paying out $2.42 a share in the current fiscal year. It's an 11% hike year over year. Similar increase is expected next year to 266. Stock yields about 1.6%, but, and again, that's low. It's not low, but we feel like it's low because we're like, I want more. But look at what you can get at a bank. Not much. When you look at Apple stock, it's up 40% roughly. So these days, tech companies are much more likely to offer dividends and you know, other payouts in addition to capital appreciation. So you get the stock appreciation, but you also get the dividend. That can be good news if you're an income-seeking investor. I own shares of Apple, and I get a nice little, I mean, I own enough shares of Apple, let me put it this way, that I'm getting kind of a more than a part-time job of dividends per year. Which, if ever I want to take my foot off the break, off the gas, and just say I want to like live off less time of work, it would be possible because those dividends are, are a form of income, right? So dividends used to be a dirty word to growth companies, but that's changed, and it's no longer the case that you know we don't see it that way. Tech stocks as a whole don't have a high yield compared to other groups like utilities or telecom. Now, utilities and telecom, they, they generate a lot of cash, but they also don't have a lot of growth. Um, telecom companies, you know, right now they're starting to fight for customers. And at one point in time, they're trying to get everyone a cell phone and a data plan and, you know, a, mo- a cable speed modem or something along those lines. Um, utilities are like electricity um, and water. They're pretty predictable, you know, they're tied towards population growth and household formation, but a lot of population growth, so it's pretty predictable. So some of the companies that have the biggest tech payouts right now, um, Qualcomm has a 4.3% dividend yield, but Qualcomm's got this big lawsuit going on with Apple. You know, they have a lot of patents on basically everything tied towards the Internet, the Internet of Things, if you have a thermostat, if you have a modem, if you have a cell phone, if you have a computer, they've got a lot of chips that are in a lot of the products that we consume. They're increasing their dividend 5.5% year over year, but their dividend yield of 4.3% right now means $100 in that stock gets you $4.30 a year. IBM, 4.2% dividend yield. Intel, 
3% dividend yield where it's currently at. So by parking money with these guys, you're getting a nice rate of return. Some of the other names are Texas Instruments, Microsoft, Xerox. I didn't even know Xerox was still in business. That shows you how like I, small of a world I live in. I don't get out much. Uh, Corning, we know that they make a lot of glass, like in, in cell phones, and I got it. Automatic data processing. Whoa, there's a company. So those are the eight companies that are, are increasing their dividend pretty aggressively for tech companies. So none of those are unattractive yields. They're all very attractive yields, 2% to 4.3%. But you look at some of these companies and you're like, Texas Instruments. I remember having a Texas Instruments calculator. Um, I remember having a TI-99 computer. Or I remember Microsoft DOS. And Intel had the 2086, the 3086, the 4086. Um, then they had the Pentium, Pentium 1, Pentium 2, Pentium 3, Pentium 4. And I don't even know what they're doing now. Like... That's how old of a tech company they are. They were interesting to me back in the 90s and early 2000s. Not so much today. And I'm not taking anything away from them. They're just a big tech company. Um, and they're not able to innovate. They're not able to say, we have this brand new thing that a lot of people are going to be using called a desktop. And our chips are in every single one of them. Microsoft, we have this brand new thing called a desktop. And our operating system is in every single one of them. You're going to be paying us $100 per operating system. Um, so these guys used to have this growth market, but now we're kind of saturated. So what's the next big thing? Well, I got a digital thermostat, and it's pretty darn cool. Um, it's a little annoying, but not bad. Just a little. So Barron's recently did a screen for tech companies with yields at least 2% and 2018 dividend growth prospects of at least 5% compared with this year's estimates. And a lot of people like to own companies that are increasing their dividends. It just shows you, and they're increasing them not nominally. It's a good number. It, it shows that management is credible. It shows that management has a plan to return capital to investors. It shows you that they're not like going, let's build a tower to the moon. Why are you building a tower to the moon? Because we have the money to do it. Instead of doing that, let's give it back to the people who own the company, the shareholders. So when you go out and buy 100 shares of Intel, 100 shares of Microsoft, 100 shares of Apple, you become an owner of the company. And in Apple's case, you can't exactly walk into a store and go, you're fired. It'd be funny if you could, but you can't. Um, so the way companies return billions of dollars to investors shows you a reflection of how management runs the business and allocates its capitals. Um, how much its, its capital budget goes to dividends, how much of it goes to new equipment, how much of it goes to R&D. And you see companies like Microsoft that are quote-unquote cash-generating machines. And just I need you to think about why companies pay dividends. It's typically because they're generating a lot of cash, kind of a subscription model sometimes, sometimes a business model where they're dominant. But start thinking business models, not fashion models, business models. I'm Rob Black talking stock, doing a little stock talk. Find me online at Rob Black Show, robblackshow.com. Visit 
visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. This isn't the easiest thing to tell you. There's somebody who's trying to make you a better investor. Try not to take the headline news personally when it comes to investing. What you see out there is crazy. It's insane. It's violent. Um, it's problematic. And, you know, I'm not saying don't use the news. Maria Bartiromo once wrote a book called Use the News. And she used to be on CNBC and then she disappeared in Fox Business, which has ratings, but not the cachet that CNBC had. But in her book, you know, she said, use the news. Like, I'd be careful on that. A lot of news is press releases and it's going to get you in trouble. Um, so you have to be careful with that. So the news, for instance, I could read a Reuters report today out of, you know, NVIDIA. We have a new semiconductor that is going to slice bread, that's going to make autonomous cars fly, that's going to make artificial intelligence. You're going to have, Siri isn't just going to be Siri anymore. It's not going to be a voice on the phone. She is going to actually be a robot in your house. We're going to put make a Siri robot. And you're like, whoa, that's all pretty good stuff, right? But that's what the company says. And the reality is, is it takes 20 years to actually develop it and put it in place. And then we find out people don't want robots in their house because the robots steal jewelry. You're like, robots steal jewelry? Maybe. Maybe. So, um, I ring that up. So that just be careful in the news. Maria Bartiromo, you know, 20 plus years ago, Jim Cramer was a hedge fund manager. And he admits in one of his books that he used to leak information to Maria Bartiromo, false information. And how he didn't go to jail for this is beyond me. Where he would basically contact the media organizations and say, you know, hey, I heard NVIDIA is not going to have a very good quarter. Um, they're going to miss their numbers. And I'll make it up the example. So you got to be careful with the news. So Maria Bartiromo would go, sources say NVIDIA is not having a very strong quarter. And the next thing you know... Stock drops five points, and they have a great quarter, and someone bought it on the cheap. So be careful. I can also tell you when it comes to stock reporting, whether you're looking at Business Week, um, you know, sometimes the San Francisco Chronicle, um, the LA Times. You know, there's a guy named David Lazarus who writes for the LA Times. Who he's very, very smart. But when it comes to talking about consumer issues, he's he's great. But when it comes to talking about, you know the investment idea tied towards it. Like, he'll do a piece on Wells Fargo where he talks about how evil the company is. And I'll do a piece on Wells Fargo where I talk about, you know, how the company is incredibly profitable and they're a dominant player in the U.S. mortgage market. And the U.S. mortgage market has no exposure to, you know, volatile currency, has no exposure to foreign markets, no exposure to Kim Il-jong-il-un, anything along those lines. So watching how the headline news and watching how stuff that you read, oh, one more thing I want to talk about, like a lot of the writers for like the Business Week um, and, you know, the Independent, you know, a lot of the sources out there, they're 24-year-old kids. 
and they're working from their apartment and they get published, you know, how many clicks they get is how much money they make. I'd be very cautious. A 24-year-old kid doesn't have your ability to pick stocks or to understand the stock market or the experience of it. They're new. Nothing against them. They'll get there. But when you put a young person in a business section, it can have some scary ramifications because you could read it and you're like, well, I heard that, you know, Expedia and eBay are dominating their markets. And that's fine. But what about their share price? What about their market capitalization, what they're worth? If you were to buy every share of the company, what about their cash flow? What about their debt? You know, just that one headline piece of information gets you in trouble. So be cautious on approaching investing with headlines. So Expedia, IAC Interactive, and eBay, they've got some pretty hefty price targets on them. Expedia is a favorite of a lot of analysts. And I'm switching into talking about you know websites that are tied towards travel in this case with, with Expedia. And I think we've all used... Expedia and Travelocity, and we've all seen TV shows where they're featured as part of the package of like, hey, let's go to Tahiti and let's use Expedia to get there. Um, we've all used Expedia, and we've all had this experience of like, let's shop for hotels. I think I'm smarter than the p- other people out there. And think about how what Expedia and Travelocity did to travel agents, right? Talking about getting Amazon, so to speak. Um... But I digress. So Expedia's got something that is doing very, very well. And you've heard about Airbnb. Expedia kind of came up with a concept of home away. Well, they didn't come up with it. They bought it. And there's a lot of positive commentary on it right now. A lot of the results recently validated the room night growth acceleration thesis. And, you know, analysts are starting to focus on guidance for the future of home away. Now, they're still using EBITDA, which is earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization. Now, saying that slowly, it's earnings, how much the company's earning, before having to pay interest on their debt, having to pay taxes to the government, having to depreciate assets, and um, and amortizing their cost. So, it's kind of a made-up number. It's saying we would have these earnings if we didn't have all these factors involved. Um, but they've got strong room growth in HomeAway. And Airbnb, if you read the press releases from young people who are writing for the business journals, um, Airbnb is pretty dominant compared to hotels. And yet, hotels aren't having a problem at this point in time. They're reinventing themselves nicely. I remember a few years ago going to a hotel, and they're like, hey, we're having wine in the lobby from 5 to 7. And I kind of thought of that as stupid. I was like, well, you don't need to do that for me. Daw shocks. They weren't doing it for me. They were doing it for younger people who wanted a perk. You know, $200 a night for a room, they want two free glasses of wine. They want to socialize. They want to network. So IAC has is tied towards a lot of the dating sites like Tinder and Match. Now, Tinder, we all know, is swipe right, right? It's a hookup site on a lot of levels. Some people say it's not a hookup site. I think it's a hookup site. Basically, it's a fantasy site where, oh, this person looks attractive to me. Maybe I'll like them. Instead of, I'll like this person and grow to like their freckles. So, but Tinder's come up with some services that you can pay for a, a, a membership where you get, you know, unlimited swipes. 
they started with unlimited swipes, then they went to like a hundred a day, and I don't even know where they're at, but they've got unlimited swipes, and then they've got, you know, uh, swipe fixes. So if you swipe the wrong way, you can actually go back now. Now they have a feature for like thirty bucks a month, where you can find anyone who swiped that they liked you. You can instantly see them, and it makes the whole process faster for either a hookup or, you know, hey, we like each other. Um, but still, I think the numbers are around 40% on Tinder that people who swipe and get liked, they don't even respond to the other people. They're just doing it for, like, am I still hot? Remember there was a website many, many years ago called Hot or Not? And it would just be like, you'd put your picture up and people would rate you. Um, and it's, it's the ultimate, like, I was afraid to do it. Like, I wasn't going to do it. It's maybe something you talk about at the water cooler, but I didn't want to know that I wasn't hot. Um, so there's a lot of commentary right now on the positive brand business that's going on with Match and with Tender. And take a look at IAC Interactive. You'll see that they own all the dating sites out there that are of note. Um, as for eBay, eBay has been one of those companies that they spun off PayPal. And PayPal is a great asset. I think PayPal is one of those companies we should all pay attention to. And consider it for our portfolio, but consult a broker advisor for taking action and stocks mentioned during stock talk. Nothing but stock talk with Rob Black. Um, but when you take a look at eBay, they expect 2017 to be slightly above the high end of their guidance. When they come out and say that, that's good. That's market commentary from the management. And it's one of the reasons I do what I do is that you get to be a detective and you get to put a lot of pieces together. And you're like, okay, so why is their revenue going to be better than expected? And the general consensus is that the acceleration is going to be driven by structured data initiatives and marketing should drive multiple expansion. I use eBay essentially every two years. There was a point 10 years ago that I used it 20 times a year. I was buying art on it. I was buying books on it, rare books. Um, I was finding all sorts of things. Then I was like, you know, I could sell my tennis shoes on this thing. Rob Black tennis shoes. Get them while they're hot. You can sell anything on eBay, right? Um, so eBay is still kind of relevant. A little less relevant than they were in the past, but you pay attention to the initiatives, you pay attention to their guidance, you pay attention to their price to earnings, their price to sales. And sometimes that's a kind of a company that could sneak under the radar. I'm not saying it's appropriate for you. Again, consult a broker advisor for taking action on stocks mentioned. But some of these companies have been around for a while. And, you know, Expedia, they basically own a lot of the other travel sites. IAC Interactive essentially owns a lot of the dating sites. They've kind of cornered the market in this area. eBay still is an online retailer that a lot of people like. And you can find some, you know, interesting stuff there if you're looking for something. And their general sales, you know, competing with Amazon, they're a competitor of Amazon's. Um, they're not a they're not you know a heavyweight contender, but they're a competitor. You can hear me talking stocks every Monday and Thursday at 6 a.m. You can hear me every day from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. talking about your money, talking about investing, talking about retirement, talking about headline business news. You can find me online at Rob Black Show or KDOW.biz.
conversation. 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening. Talking a little stock, talking a little investing. One of the things that we have to pay attention to when investing is, if you're investing in large companies, is their exposure to foreign markets. There are companies like Apple that get a large share of their business overseas to an electric, Intel, Microsoft. Like you can, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to name and think about companies like Merck, Pfizer. Like there's just tons of them, right? So when you think about that and you think about the dollar, there was a time when I vacationed when I was younger and like, um, the dollar got really weak or the dollar got really strong. I went to Europe. I could buy less or I could buy more based on what their currencies were. And this was before the euro, so I had to deal with strong currencies, maybe in Turkey, weak currencies in Italy, and like the dollar could do different things in exchange rates. So it was always interesting. And I think dealing with other countries' currencies is kind of fun anyway, right? And I kind of am sad that we we missed that. But uh like Portugal had the escudos. I called them excuses. Because um, you'd get like... One dollar buys me a million excudos. I'm like, sweet. I know I'm saying that wrong, and I'm okay with that. But the bad news buck. So when investing in companies like Intel and Microsoft and Apple, sometimes you'll hear during the conference call that, you know, our earnings were impacted positive or negative by Forex, the foreign exchange. Now, first and foremost, I don't want you buying currencies. It's incredibly tough to do. It's incredibly expensive to do. There's an incredibly high markup, a lot like gold. You don't need it. You know, if you want to buy gold, you can buy an ETF. You don't have to buy a gold bar. You don't have to store the gold bar. But I'm not that guy. I'm not a gold guy. So the bad news buck right now, the dollar has declined against every major currency. It's, you know, down 5 to 11%, pretty much across all the major currencies, whether it be the euro, the yen, um, or the pound sterling. And the buck has declined, and that causes the way you, not invest, but the the way you think about the earnings and the quality of earnings. So if a company fires their, you know, 10% of its staff and their earnings beat expectations, that's not impressive because they've lost a lot of staff in the process. Now, again, you could say they're right-sized or downsized, or you can say that, you know, uh, they're leaner and meaner, which is great. But in the end, it wasn't from new revenues. It was from figuring out that we had too many employees here. So the weaker dollar helps U.S. exporters. It pads the buying power of visitors. It has widespread impact in the stock market. Tech companies' strong sales, nearly 60% of which are earned overseas. They look even stronger when translated back into dollars. Um, so you do your business over in Europe and you do the euro, you turn current convert it back into dollars, you're like, whoa, get more bang for your buck. When foreigners come to visit the United States on vacation, they get more bang for their euro. So us, not so much. With the U.S. dollar index down to its lowest level in about a year, 
odds are increasing the dollar could bounce back in the short term. But again, I don't play these games. I'm not a crystal ball kind of guy. Um, sentiment right now has retreated, and it's far less extreme as far as, you know, will there be war? Will there not be war? Will there be Republican Democrats to get along? Will there not be? Race tensions in the United States is the new thing. A couple of years ago was tensions with the police and race. Um, there's a lot of headlines out there. 50 stocks in the Standard Poor's 500 index with the most overseas revenues are up more this year than the top 50 with only domestic sales. So having that weak dollar has helped companies benefit strongly. Having a weak dollar in the United States... He did okay. You know, at one point in time, I saw the numbers were about 13.8% for international companies like big international companies like Apple and Intel. Up 13.8% for the top 50 in the S&P 500 versus just 1.3% for the 50 with only domestic sales. So think of companies like Bank of America that don't have foreign exposure. So when the U.S. dollar index is down, odds are increasing the dollar could bounce back, right? Um... There wasn't too long ago where the volatility index on Wall Street, which measures, you know, um, movement above the norm. And when you got to the norm, it was boring, boring, boring. When one analyst said, you know, we're coiling, we're going to bounce. And uh, there's some truth to that. Just like, you know, the dollar's going to bounce around. The dollar index had ri- just risen for five straight years when you take a look back um, where the buck is very bullish. Sentiment has retreated and it's less extreme now. Um, we're not looking at the U.S. as the strong economy or the strong currency of the world. For five years, we did. Now, there's a lot of geopolitical skirmishes that can accentuate the dollar status as a safe haven. Congress is going to have its hands full when they you know, have to start dealing with budgets and track records. Resolving the debt ceiling could nudge the dollar higher. Uh, the dollar most likely is going to continue to retreat, though, against the euro, because Europe's picking up steam in their economy. They're a little bit behind the U.S. Um, and, you know, you get scenarios where Americans are buying German cars or French wine. You have to sell the dollars to buy the euros, effectively increasing the supply of dollars and the demand for euros. Um, so we're big consumers, and our economy is good, but the European economies are improving. So you have to study a little bit of the dollar and feel comfortable with it because it creates big differences from companies that have foreign exposure to companies that don't, both positive and negative. I'm talking stock. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. Stock Talk with Rob Black. The closer you get to retirement, the more you need to start thinking about how you can get the most out of your nest egg. Hi, I'm Rob Black. On September 9th, I'll be in San Rafael, along with CFP Chad Burton and attorney Michelle Lerman, for a special event focused on retirement income strategies and estate planning. We're going to help you get a better picture of how to manage your retirement income so that it lasts longer, lets you live comfortably, and protects your family. Which accounts you should draw from first? What's the best way to manage your IRAs and your 401ks? How should you handle your Social Security? We'll cover all that and show you how to minimize your taxes. And we'll go over retirement products. Which ones are the good ones? Which ones to avoid? What if long-term care becomes an issue? That could drain your entire estate if you don't protect it. 
just the tip of the iceberg. Join us Saturday, September 9th, 10 to noon at Sheraton San Rafael. Register now at robblackshow.com. For KDOW listeners, we'll waive the $25 fee. Just use promo code RADIO25 when you register. That's robblackshow.com, promo code RADIO25. Hope to see you there.